Hi, I'm Karen Buchanan. I'm on the teaching team at Mercy Vineyard, and I gave a message this past Sunday on pain as a teacher, and we had a technical difficulty, uh, so it was not successfully recorded. So I am here to do it again uh, in this format, and so let us begin. In the mid-90s, in a period of great difficulty and much uh, reflection, I came to realize that I didn't love the man that I was married to the way a wife should love her husband, uh, and that I probably never had. I sat with that, and I read, and I studied, and I thought, and eventually I decided that since I had stood in a church and made my forever vow before God that I would keep my promise. I realized that even if I didn't feel love toward him, I could choose to treat him in a loving manner. And so that's what I set out to do. So I worked on my thoughts and my attitudes, my words and my tones of voice, and I became so soft and so willing to own my part in the arguments um, that more than once he stopped in the middle of a big argument and was puzzled and just laughed and asked, now how am I supposed to fight with you if you're just going to admit that you're wrong? My resolve worked for a while. It was settled in my soul. I can keep this promise. And I liked him better after that. And I also liked myself better after that, although I want to be clear here that I hadn't become some sort of super wife. I still had a lot of baggage and was quite a mess. A year or two later, he came to realize that he did not love me the way a husband should love his wife. And we'll just say he didn't choose self-reflection or self-coaching as a response to that. And the choices that he did make left me reeling. Now, you might suppose that at this point, um, we could, you know, could all end well. We could have just shaken hands and parted ways. We both feel the same way or don't feel the same way. But that wasn't how it went at all. The tearing asunder of my family felt like a direct threat to my kids and my kids were my life. And so that threat filled me with rage. And also I had moved from my parents' home straight to marriage uh, after high school. I married about nine weeks after I graduated from high school um, and then started college shortly thereafter. And so I had never managed on my own. I had never lived on my own at all. And the prospect of it was terrifying, especially with two kids to raise along the way. Well, the pain of that passage far surpassed anything that I had experienced before or even since. And we wrestled with it, holding out for two long years, trying to figure out if we could fix it, um, even while just devastating things were happening between us. Then there were about two more years of hashing out the divorce, even though we told the lawyers to play nicely with each other. It still took about two years to get that ironed out and completed. And in the meantime, there were just so many bad scenes, just ugly, awful things. There was drama that just would not relent. There were fights that friends 
family and even co-workers ended up in the middle of complicating my relationships. There were so many tears, so many nights of no sleep, so many days I couldn't eat. Just so many occasions that I needed to call up the same friends and tell the same awful stories over and over again while I was trying to work it out in my head. And there were so many times when no one was around, the kids would be at their dad's for the weekend or whatever, and I would literally just squeeze myself into a tight corner somewhere, like between the dryer and the wall, between the dresser and the wall, and just curl up in a ball and I would just sob until I just couldn't breathe anymore. And I ran a licensed daycare in my home and so many days I just, I spent more time hiding in the bathroom crying than I did interacting with the kids. I was a mess. Early in the process, in the hot part of the summer, I would drive my car out into the country in the middle of the night, away from where my husband and kids could hear me, away from where the neighbors could hear me through the open windows, because we didn't have air conditioning. Um, and I would just sit in my car screaming and screeching and begging, don't let this happen to me, God, I can't take it. And I would beat on the steering wheel so hard uh, with my hands that I'd have bruises on the heels of my hands the next day, just from pounding on the steering wheel. Later on, while we were still trying to work it out, I had a series of panic attacks. And this didn't happen when I was like sitting obsessing about whether it would work or not. I would just be like cleaning my house. And suddenly, you know, I couldn't breathe. And my heart was pounding so hard, it felt like it was just gonna tear my chest open and come out. And I felt like for sure, I'm probably gonna die right this moment. Probably just right this moment, I'm just gonna die. And that kept happening over and over again. And then much later in the process, there was a day when I was nearly in three different car accidents in a single day. And I was lived in a little small town, no traffic. But three times in a single day, I stopped at corners, looked both ways, saw nothing and pulled out and was almost in a terrible collision all three times. The cars had to have been there, uh, but I had, you know, the stress was apparently affecting my vision or my attention, something. And so that day was instrumental in helping me to decide that I was done. So I filed for divorce shortly thereafter. And no amount of stories that I can tell you or adjectives that I can use can capture the pain of that passage. I felt like I might not survive it, although every day I would say with great conviction that I would survive. And I did survive. I took the lessons that I could find from that pain and I carried them with me. I wasn't sure of the right things to do in relationships, but for sure I knew some wrong ones that I had tried and all I knew was I was never going that direction again. Pain can be a highly effective teacher if you'll let it and if you'll invite God into the classroom that is your life. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about today, pain as a teacher. So let's stop and pray. 
Father, I just thank you that you are with us in the midst of all pain, that you are greater than all pain. I thank you that you can use it as a teacher. Come, Lord, and speak in the midst of this message. Come and speak through me. Come and speak in spite of me. Speak to every heart that needs this message today. And just help us each to receive what you are saying and sending. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In my 15 single and celibate years between that marriage and the time when I met my husband, my current husband, Gary, that I would later marry, pain was my teacher over and over again. I had time to really come to know myself. I had not known myself at all before my divorce. It's important to note here that this is not a story about Karen, who was very nice and practically perfect, you know, being done wrong by a very bad man. Um, When I split with my first husband, what I said was that both of us made mistakes. Uh, Because I knew that that's, you know, what you're supposed to say. That it wasn't only his fault, both of us made mistakes. But what I thought was that my mistakes were few and small. And that his were giant and grievous. And for sure, I thought that he owned most of the blame. I thought I had my act together pretty well. And that he was just a mess. And it was over the next 15 years that I began to understand the weight of my side of the story and my portion of the blame. In that long passage on my own after the divorce, as I watched other married people and reflected and prayed, God led me to resource after resource. I found healing, I found growth, and I shucked off a whole lot of lies and fear and resentment. Now, Be clear here, this didn't happen by me just, you know, reading and listening and magically getting it right. It wasn't a smooth or graceful or pretty process. I tried things and I got them wrong and I felt that pain and I learned and I changed. And that was my pattern for a while, you know, try, fail, learn, change over and over again. There was so much falling down. A little bit of what I'm talking about there is my dating life, but honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of dating in that time. I kind of figured out pretty quickly that I was not good at choosing men and that maybe I should just not try to do that. And so I more or less backed away from dating um, after a while, pretty quickly. But pain was there teaching me about so many things besides romance and relationship and so many other areas. It was shaping me, it was molding me, helping me to see what I needed to put away, uh, what I needed to give up, what I needed to rethink. And though I had grown up in church, my relationship with God had been distant since my teen years, really since Um, shortly after I came to Christ, uh, and I got a pretty clear message, which I now understand to have been not God at all. Um, And it was a message that said, because I had had an abortion when I was 13 years old, that God found me disgusting, loathsome, and awful. 
that God had to love me because it's in the contract, but also that God didn't like me at all and was not glad that I was on his team. I was kind of repulsive and I needed to just stay away. And so that's where I had stayed for all that time. But my divorce sent me running toward God after keeping God at arm's length for all those years, for more than a decade. And I ran toward God, not because I was sure that God would welcome me into his arms, uh, but because I was desperate. And I couldn't see any way to survive without God's intervention. I had nowhere else to go. And the good news was God didn't punish me you know, with like the stiff arm, it's just saying, you know, you stayed away too long and now I don't want you. Uh, he welcomed me unconditionally. So for the duration of that 15 years after my divorce, out there on my own, raising my kids and getting life wrong more than I got it right, I promise you, but trying with all my might, God was there with me in it. I felt him. I heard him, I was carried by him, I was comforted by him. And he took that pain and used it like an artist, helping to cut away layers and layers of lies and misunderstandings, changing me from who I was to who he had created me to be. Now, every layer of those lies and misunderstandings hurt coming off, it was painful. But I was more and more free and more and more me as it happened each and every time. I was growing, I was changing, I was going all the time deeper and learning more and more how to take responsibility for my own thoughts, emotions, and general well-being. And I just want to say here that in the midst of this, while I was this mess, I was not sidelined. God did not sit me in a corner and tell me, when you are well, then you can serve the kingdom. Then you can do things for me. I uh, have done a lot of messages at Mercy. Uh, when I talked about praying through every county in, or every town in Mercer County, that happened during this passage. When I have talked about working with at-risk youth, that happened during this passage. I was um, blessed to be able to serve God and others in so many different ways, even though I was a mess. I have a friend who says, uh, talks about being a mess like a soup sandwich, and that's kind of what I was. I was a mess. I was making a lot of mistakes, but I was also there holding on to God, and he was using me. So if you have received a message that, you know, first you have to clean yourself up, and then you can serve, but certainly don't be trying to serve others while you're such a mess. Don't buy it. It's baloney. God can use you even in the middle of your mess. And honestly, the being used in the middle of your mess is part of the healing process. So um, don't believe the lie. Now, nobody wants to experience pain. Our prayers are filled with entreaties to save us and to save others from pain. Our life strategies are dictated by pain avoidance. But John 16, promises us pain. It says here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Pain can wake us up. C.S. Lewis once said, pain insists upon being attended to. 
God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. As for me, I have concluded upon much reflection that every really good thing I've ever learned or gained, every bit of freedom I've ever found, every bit of growth I've ever accomplished, every bit of success in my life that I can claim, it all started with pain. I've been pondering this for years, and I have yet to find a single exception to this rule. Now, if I sound like the crazy lady saying that, listen to Christian journalist Malcolm Muggridge, who said as he reflected on suffering in his own life, this rather long quote. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at that time seemed especially desolating and painful. I now look back upon them with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence, has been through affliction and not through happiness, whether pursued or attained. In other words, I say this, if it were possible to eliminate affliction from our earthly existence by means of some drug or other medical mumbo-jumbo, the results would not be to make life delectable, but to make it too banal and trivial to be endurable. This, of course, is what the cross signifies, and it is the cross more than anything else that has called me inexorably to Christ." Isn't that a wonderful quote? I really like that part at the beginning. I look back on the experiences that at that time seemed especially desolating and painful. I now look back upon them with particular satisfaction. So if you're in the middle of the pain right now, just think you might be looking back in a while with particular satisfaction uh, for this particular passage. Now, what I was experiencing in my own long, painful passage is a picture of what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verses 71 and 72, which says this, My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Now, I, after I went through the divorce, I went through a period that was just a lot of um, thing after thing. And when I was praying ahead about this, the morning uh, of giving the message, I kept hearing the word gauntlet, gauntlet, that I went through a gauntlet of pain. And so I went and looked up what it meant. And the definition talks about that it was like a military punishment um, that, where you had two lines of men with switches or clubs and the person running the gauntlet would run between the lines and just be being beaten from each side by all of the men with the switches and clubs. Um, and so I would say that the next passage you know, that I went through, starting with the divorce, felt like that. It was a gauntlet of pain. I went through the divorce that helped me prepare for the cancer that I went through after that. And then after the cancer, I went through this giant church controversy that drove me right out of the church where I was the head deaconess. Um, but some of the stuff I'd been through before 
had equipped me for going through that. And then I went through difficulties with family that I didn't know how to navigate. And then after that, there was more giant church controversy at another church that I survived years later. And then after that, there were just parenting decisions that I made that left me uh, looking like a failure and feeling like an outcast. And there were just so many other things, just painful things before, between, and since. And in that gauntlet of pain, God was able to speak in the midst of them every single time. Not because I was navigating it perfectly, I promise you, I was not. But because even as I stumbled, I kept holding on to God with all my might. Now, if you know someone who seems to love God, they say they love God, but you wonder if they really do because they just keep screwing up. Go gently with them. If you're thinking if they were following Christ, they would do it better. Go gently. Progress can be a bloody, ugly thing. Along the way, though, I grew fonder and fonder of looking to God's instruction and more and more sure of God's goodness and less and less enamored with my own big ideas. I learned that when I found myself just thinking, it hurts. It hurts so much. I can't take it. It hurts. You know, I remember the first time that I had the thought that, oh, wait, the last time it hurt this much, Think about the amazing gift I got during that time. Think about what God did in my life. And so I learned to start looking for the miracles and the healing and the deliverance that God was delivering to me, delivering in me, through that pain, through that process, Um, and looking for it with anticipation instead of just bemoaning my faith that, you know, here's the pain again. I always have the pain. It was a genuinely beautiful process of transformation, even as it was filled with countless scary, awkward, unlovely moments and interactions. James chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 tells us, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, while I will not pretend to be perfect or complete at this point in my journey, I will tell you that I am far, far closer than I was before all that pain and that I do experience real endurance. Note that that scripture said at the end of it, needing nothing. It is my thought that that probably is not in reference to saying, you know, that I will have all the good things and I will have piles of money, abundant friends, total security, and all the stuff I could ever desire. I think it's more about coming to a place of trusting God, trusting that what I have is enough and that what I am is enough because Christ is in me and with me. I might lack many things, when viewed by this world. But if I'm settled in my heart that God's got me and that's all that really matters, well, that's needing nothing as far as I'm concerned. And it's suffering and pain and troubles that build that endurance and bring us to that settled certainty, guys, not nice, easy times of getting everything we want and suffering no consequences for our bad decisions.
Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, hammers this home as well, saying, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now I have to pause here and share with you one of the neatest things God ever showed me personally. I was meditating on Psalm 23, and there's a verse that says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And what God showed me is uh, one way to look at the valley of shadow of death, which is that it's a passage in your life where everything's dark, you can't see, everything hurts, and there are scary noises on all sides, and it feels like maybe you're dying or at least losing your mind. But the reason it's so scary and so painful is that God is using that valley to kill the dark things that are clinging to you and drawing life from you and stealing your life away from you, whether those things are demonic or whether they're just lies that you believe. Those dark things make an awful ruckus as they die. It sounds terrifying, but you're not dying. They are. How good is that? That's the valley of the shadow of death, the place where the things the enemy is using to steal, kill, and destroy in your life are being put to death. Hold your head up if you find yourself there. And as we say in RFK, keep moving forward. Trust the God who is eradicating those things. It's beautiful on the other side of that valley. Now, if you know someone who is deeply and peacefully confident in their hope in God, not as some kind of tribal war hoop or some kind of cultural identity marker, not some kind of us versus them thing, but just someone who's quietly settled in their soul about God's goodness and how safe they are in God, you can bet that person has a story that includes at least one passage of deep pain and prolonged pain. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychologist who spent years in a Nazi concentration camp during the Holocaust. Upon his release, he wrote about his experiences and observations. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he wrote this, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And that's important to remember when pain is the teacher in the classroom of your life. You get to choose. You can be mad. You can be bitter. You can focus your energy on complaint. You can take it on as your identity. I am a person who suffers pain. You can wallow in helplessness and hopelessness. Or you can let it shape you. You can let it change you. You can let it peel away those lies and other devices that the enemy of our souls uh, sends to cling to us. And as deep, suffer, as deep as suffering goes, God goes deeper. Corey Ten Boom 
wrote while languishing in a Nazi prison in 1944, there is no pit so deep, but Christ is deeper still. You can't go further down than Christ can go. He is up to all of it, and he's there in all of it. In other words, you are never alone in your pain. God is always there with you, even if you don't perceive that he is. Pain can be a highly effective teacher, if you'll let it, and if you'll invite God into the classroom that is your life. Now, maybe today you're walking through one of those passages that is a haze of pain and confusion. Maybe you're tired. Maybe it doesn't feel fair what you're enduring. When others who aren't even following God seem to have it easy and not be suffering. And maybe I'm making you mad as I allege that pain can be a great teacher. Maybe you'd like to get me in a corner after the message and tell me a story that would shut up my stupid Pollyanna ways. And I only know this is a possibility because I have felt that way listening to other people give a message like this. So I'm just asking that um, while you're listening here at the end of this, that you would just bow your head and close your eyes and just sit with God for a moment uh, and have whatever conversation you need to have about pain in this moment. And just feel what you're feeling. Don't try to disguise it. Don't try to push it down. And speak in plain terms, not holy language, in plain terms um, with God about how that's working for you right now and how you're feeling right now. And as you ponder that, and as you have those words and tell God this, uh, I was praying ahead and I there are some specific kinds of people that I feel like God um, wants to address in this message. Um, and the first is, um, there are uh, there's at least one person, maybe more, someone who feels like um, the pain, it's only killing them. It's not teaching you, it's just killing me. Uh, and you crying out for mercy. And so we're going to pray for you. And then there's uh, someone who needs relief, someone who just feels like this is never going to end and I can see no reasonable way out of this situation. I've just lost hope. I'm just stuck in it. So I'm going to pray for you too. And um, then there is someone who just says, listen, God, I just want to see the lesson. I'm tired of being taught. I just want to learn. I just want to learn. And so if you're that person, if you'd want to get past the teaching part and get to the learning part, you want to be opened up so you can get your message, um, I'm going to pray for you. And then there's one other type of person I'm going to pray for that is not in the passage of pain. Uh, but what you need to come to is a place of repentance because you have been judging someone as not a Christ follower because they just screw up too much. And so you think if they were following Christ, they wouldn't be doing it this wrong. And so you have been judging and measuring them and saying they're not a Christ follower. And today is your day to repent of that and to see them through God's eyes and with God's compassion. So just let me pray for you as you're pondering all that. Lord, I just thank you for each of these people. And I thank you, Lord, um, that even when the pain feels like it's too much and we can't bear it, that though it may be too much, that you are more than enough in that time. And I just ask that you would come and strengthen every person, comfort every person, and reassure them that this, this pain is not unto death, um, that this is a time of, of learning and growth and freedom. Lord, come and set captives free. 
Lord, come and bring healing and wholeness for people who are in that time. And Lord, I just lift up the people who don't see a way out, who feel hopeless, who feel like it's never going to end. Strengthen them, Lord. Give them endurance and help them to hold on to you and to cling to what you're showing them in this time. And Lord, for the people who are just desperate to see the lesson and stop being taught, uh, help them to have open hearts, help them to have open minds, help them to be willing to hear what you're saying, even and especially if it's the last thing they want to hear, and be willing to receive it and to follow after it. And Lord, for every person who needs to repent uh, of having judged someone else as not being a Christ follower because they mess up too much, help us, Lord, to just uh, give that over, um, uh, and just with open hands and... Um, let go of judgment, let you be the judge, and be willing to see those people through your compassion um, and give them a chance as they're going through, through their imperfect journey. Come, Lord, and work in every heart. Come, Lord, and work in every mind. Come, Lord, and work in every life. Come and set captives free, Lord. Come and bring truth and healing and come and use pain as that sculpting tool that only you can. Um, and we will not fail to give you all the praise and all the glory as these things come to pass and as people um, begin to celebrate what you've done in this passage. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope this message has touched you. You have a blessed day and know that I'm praying for you as I am sending this out.